Thank you for joining us today for the Conform to Christ podcast, where we seek to engage the mind, affect the heart, and call people to follow Christ. My name is George Mays. With me is Dr. Jones. Hello, friend. And this is Text Driven Tuesday. Text Driven Tuesday. Is that our new intro, intro music? Yeah. Okay. Can it not be? Sure. Okay. Did, did, before I started it, I think I accidentally went, oh, did you hear me? Uh-uh. I think I did. I think it's going to be on the audio from my back. I'm back. Old man Jones. So uh, it's text-driven Tuesday, but we uh, we record on Mondays. And uh, so this Monday morning... We are both we're both in pain, back pain, but I think you're in more pain than I am. Yep. No rhyme or reason for it. Just went out, slipped out. Yeah. What can you do? We're falling apart. Yep. Mm-hmm. We're gonna we're going to uh, eventually have to uh do the whole sitting at a table while we preach and it won't be on uh, it won't be our choice. Yep, George. We need to, like I said before, we need to we uh, make another a new segment, little funny segments. Uh-huh. And I think a good one would be dumbest things people said to you after you preached. Yeah. Did you, Did you have one? Did oh, it didn't happen one? yesterday. Oh, okay. I just I was thinking You're about just it. Thinking about it. Yeah, yeah. Um, I told you one time, a guy came up, and uh, he's like, said something like, "I don't like the way you tie your tie. You don't tie it right." <laughs> Your tie's not tied correctly or something. I was like, what? He's like, the Army taught me how to tie this tie. Yeah, strange things. I know you've got something. I don't know if I've ever... I don't know if I remember people coming up and saying anything right after the sermon. Yeah. I I know that some... I know uh, some people told me that um, I used to kind of jingle my keys in my pocket while I was preaching and it distracted them. That was a good, that was a good note. That's, that's a good so, tip. That's, that's something that I've, I've worked on not doing anymore Yeah, because that can be a distraction. It's just uh-huh. kind of a nervous, yeah, nervous yeah. tick or whatever. Um, and now you go up without keys? Uh, well, I, uh, I just empty your pockets. I just don't put my hands in that pocket. <laughs> I empty my pockets before I go to preach. I do that every once in a while, but then I've got yeah. to figure out where to put my stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Um I don't know. I nothing has come into mind. I know that um I know that things have been said about me after <laughs> after I preached. <laughs> but maybe not to me. Mm. I preached uh when I when I first came to uh former church. Um I I was preaching through 1 Corinthians and I got to 1 Corinthians 14 and I preached a sermon on cessationism mm-hmm. so i was i was trying to show that the miraculous gifts they were for the early church but um with the with the passing of the apostles and the closing of the of the canon of scripture the miraculous gifts have ceased and that we have the word of god yeah and that's that's our that's our authority that's what we need to be devoting our our time to and uh, the next day, one of my deacons came into my office and said he'd, he'd eaten lunch with someone from the church. And the, the guy had said, what do you think about the pastor telling us that we need to be speaking in tongues? 
<laughs> uh, so he heard the exact opposite of what I'd I'd preached. Yeah, yeah. The exact opposite. I don't even know how that happens. <laughs> Very encouraging. Very encouraging. Yeah. <laughs> and that was a Monday morning. You know, that's it's got to be on a Monday morning. Yeah, right. Yeah. You're already exhausted, and you're trying to. You, uh, now think you're the best communicator in the world. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, how did he get that? How in the world did he hear the exact opposite of what I said? That's <laughs> funny. Yeah. Yeah. What part of <laughs> the miraculous gifts have ceased? Do you not understand? <laughs> you even titled it the sermon title. It's on the bulletin. Uh -huh. That's what it says. He still got it wrong. <laughs> yeah. So oh, uh, that's... Gracious. That's the one thing that sticks out in my mind. I, I can't really think of anything that someone has said to me right after that uh, <laughs> has been really dumb. I don't know. Oh, good times. Yeah. I've had sayings said to me before the sermon. Yeah. That have been distracted. Distracted you? Yeah. Yeah. Someone complaining about something. Yeah. I had, <laughs> at my previous church, my uh, the pastor there, he was telling me a story about he was getting ready to preach on a Sunday morning, and one of the deacons came and told him that there was no toilet paper in the men's room. Get in there and change it. Yeah. <laughs> like, okay, you're a deacon. Uh, there should be like go, a... Go replace the toilet paper. We don't have like really any complainers at our church, yeah. which is the grace of God. It is. It's it's unique, I think. But I have been church. around uh, churches where there were complaints. Mm -hmm. I think there should be a complaint window. It's like Tuesday through Friday. Pastor gets Saturday with his family. No complaints. Sunday's a no-go, and Monday's definitely a no-go. You got Tuesday through Friday. <laughs> if you want to make complaints. Come and complain? Yeah, yeah. That's all you get. The other days are off limits. How about we just have a complaint box? <laughs> if you got something particular particular hey. in mind that you want to communicate, instead of dropping your offering in the box, you put a complaint in. At, uh, at, at the church uh, in Kansas City, before I came here, it's a great church. But you know, I was like the associate pastor. They had like an official position, associate pastor. Mm -hmm. We had like one main preaching guy. He's a great preacher. And like my job was literally to be like, you see that punching bag? Like they hang up the heavy bag that uh -huh. people just get to go to town on. Yeah. That was pretty much my job. Mm. I just took it for him. <laughs> nice. Complaint. I was the complaint department. Okay. Most of them I just threw in the garbage. Yeah. But I still had to take them and listen to them. Right. And smile. <laughs> right. Yeah. After well, a while, it, after a while, you just find yourself <laughs> pretending to be listening. <laughs> if you're honest, oh goodness, you got me thinking about past past church experiences now, Jay, and all it really does is make me incredibly thankful for our church because yeah. I haven't had that experience at our church. Yeah, I haven't had. Uh, I used to dread. I used to have like that that feeling of dread in your stomach. Yeah, <laughs> when I would come. Um, before we merged, mm -hmm. because I didn't know what what's going to be wrong this time. Mm -hmm. um, but I I don't have that at, at the church. Yeah. So that's that's God's grace to us, and it's also um, I think it's evidence of um, the Spirit's sanctifying work on our our members. Yep. Uh, that true. doesn't mean that they can't come and bring their complaints or concerns. They just uh, 
don't seem to have very many. I think they probably. I mean, I mean we're. I mean, we're open. My, my, maybe I'm always. I'm always open for someone to come and talk to me. Well, I think there's a different. I don't know how to say it. I think there are people in the church have things that they want to ask or they have questions about or they things maybe they even, don't even like. Yeah. But they maybe do it in such a good way. Yeah. That it doesn't bother. It doesn't us. come across as a complaint. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's probably true. So, yay, the church is awesome. <laughs> All right, well, let's uh, let's talk about Habakkuk. Let's do it. Habakkuk chapter 2. Um, you said that uh, in one of your commentaries, they just kind of skipped this section. Yeah, um, they're just, well, they had part of it. Okay. So I was like, yeah. Helpful. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's always that's always what you want to see when you're you're studying. You pick mm-hmm. up pick up a commentary. Let's see what this guy has to say. I'd have and to he go has back. Nothing and, to say. I have to go back and relook. I think he. I think maybe what had happened is he was really trying to emphasize verse fourteen. Okay. And then, but to the but detriment he, of everything else. Well, I mean the the rhetorical effect of these. Mm-hmm. Like you, you know, shell shock is a thing, right? Mm. From World War II, you ever see that picture of the soldiers where they're like stunned? Yeah, that's kind of the effect of these mm. getting slammed down. These they're taunts. God's taunting now the Babylonians. Okay, bam, bam, like it's um, it should be like that. Yeah, you get get shell shocked by it. Okay, so we've we've come to uh, to verses six through twenty. This is the uh, the second half of chapter two, and we come to five woes and you can you can see them very clearly i've got them circled so i can see where where the passage is divided yeah um five woes of habakkuk yeah so after the uh the service i didn't know what this was i I think i had heard maybe this song before like on a show but there's a song by drake not my drake but drake tells me dad check out my sermon title george he titled it, I was running through the six with my five woes. <laughs> oh, no. Have you ever heard that song? Oh, my goodness. It's no. A, it's no, a pretty popular song. Really? I was, yeah, and that's one of the lines in it. Wow. So that's what he titled it. I was running through the six with my five woes. <laughs> Drake, all right, buddy. At least you're paying attention. Yeah. <laughs> oh. So what is a woe? It's not a word that we use not something that you say to a horse. Right. Well, it's, you do say it to a horse, but that's not what it not means. <laughs> <laughs> um, we say whoa like, oh, they hit a home run. Whoa. Like awesome. Uh, Spell, no, it's like spelled a, differently. Yeah. Yeah. Prophetic woe okay. is is what it is. It's a it's a prophetic expression of impending doom and judgment. Okay. That's the best way I can describe it. All right. So it's a good definition. Yeah. Is that original to you, or did you find that somewhere? I'm sure I read it before somewhere. Okay. Yeah, right. I pretty much don't have anything original. Cite your sources, Jay. Yeah, you don't want to pull an Ed Litton. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. So this is uh, this this probably is not anyone's favorite part of Habakkuk. We've looked at um, you know verses two through four, which Paul quotes um, extensively throughout the. The New Testament, you get to the end of chapter three, and people love love the last several verses of the book. But you come here, and you've got these five woes, and people don't. Besides verse fourteen, this probably isn't your go to passage. Mm-hmm. 
But you really emphasize the fact that this is important for the church. This isn't something that um, we should skip over. Why, why are these five woes so important for the church? Well, they, they present, they can bring us back into balance, right? So the, the, the number one problem that, has, that plagues the church, according to Sproul, and I think he's right, and it's actually the reason why he wrote his book, The Holiness of God, mm-hmm. and this rekindled it. They got this little clip, I guess I could play it, but he says the problem is the church in the church is that we don't know who God is. So everything else that pr- plagues the church kind of stems from that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so one of the reasons we don't know who God, it, God is is because we often avoid passages that really talk about um, how severe, how just and severe his punishment is. Mm. Um and so there's not an off there's not an all field res- respect or healthy fear of who God is. So we we often elevate who we are and we really pull down God to our level. Like I I said uh most people today think God would be honored to have a latte with them in a coffee shop. Mm-hmm. How honor, you know, who would who wouldn't <laughs> right. want to hang out with me? Uh-huh. Of course God would want to. Um, but when we come into passages like this, then we can begin to understand, oh, you know, maybe I have uh, forgotten something or maybe never learned it. Mm. You know, the demons in the Bible are said to shudder before God. Now, they're in outright rebellion against him, uh, but they still tremble at the thought of who he is mm. and his in his holiness and in his perfection, because they know that means that his judgment is coming, right? And it's terrifying to supernatural beings. God's a terrifying being to those in rebellion against him. And most people will never, ever shudder at God in this life. Now, they they will in the next, but in this life, they don't. And it's because these passages like these are often just ignored. Okay. Like, if if most churches that don't preach expositionally, the pastor's never going to pick one of these today. Now, I'm not saying that to say, oh, hey, we're so great, we preach these passages. I'm just saying this is the reality on the ground in America. Mm-hmm. Pastor Wim, hey, let's preach a psalm here, let's encourage the folks, let's uh, let's do some John, and not even all of John, because it'll be to certain the highlights, mm-hmm. right? Maybe I'll do the I am sayings of John, or whatever. But they're not going to be like, you know what, I'm going to preach five woes this Sunday, yeah. and it's going to be straight dread and terror <laughs> like so it's yeah. these are just avoided right you know so we we need a a, a biblical balance mm-hmm. and that's that's the strength of of doing expository preaching where you go through books and don't skip over passages yeah you've got some difficult passages coming up in hebrews mm-hmm. and um you don't get just to skip them or everyone will it'll be super obvious <laughs> right to everybody yeah and it doesn't um it doesn't benefit the people I mean, God knows better than we do what what our people need to hear, mm-hmm. um, and so these five woes are included, right? Uh, and and actually, too, I mean, if you have had somebody do something terribly evil and wicked to you, which is a lot of people in the world, um, you may be asking, "Does God care?" And passages like these remind us He cares a lot, and people will get a just reckoning. Mm-hmm. It's coming. Right. So So this is kind of the the um 
the I mean not the answer but an answer to the problem of of evil right right if God is good if he's powerful why does why why do evil things happen mm-hmm. right and this shows us that that evil does get its just desserts mm-hmm. in the end right right yep okay all right well um let's have you read the passage and okay. then uh, we'll uh, we'll walk through it all right let me get to it whoa well you are on chapter three you're way too far my friend you guys can all see what's coming there we go there we go woe to the chaldeans so babylonians this is uh god's response to habakkuk's at the end of his complaint kind of was you know are you going to let them go on mercilessly killing nations forever which is pretty much are you going to do anything about these this evil and Mm -hmm. this wicked and these woes come in god's response and he says, Shall not all these take up their taunt against him with scoffing and riddles for him and say, Woe to him who heaps up what is not his own? For how long? And loads himself with pledges. Will not your debtors suddenly arise and those awake who will make you tremble? Then you will be spoiled for them. Because you have plundered many nations, all the remnant of the peoples shall plunder you. For the blood of man and violence to the earth, to cities and all who dwell in them. Woe to him who gets evil gain for his house, to set his nest on high, to be safe from the reach of harm. You have devised shame for your house by cutting off many peoples. You have forfeited your life, for the stone will cry out from the wall, and the beam from the woodwork respond. Woe to him who builds a town with blood and founds a city on iniquity. Behold, is it not from the Lord of hosts that peoples labor merely for fire, and nations weary themselves for nothing? For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Woe to him who makes his neighbors drink. You pour out your wrath and make them drunk in order to gaze at their nakedness. You will have your fill of shame instead of glory. Drink yourself and show your uncircumcision. The cup in the Lord's right hand will come around to you, and utter shame will come upon your glory. The violence done in Lebanon will overwhelm you. As will the destruction of the beasts that terrified them, for the blood of man and the violence to the earth, to cities and all who dwell in them. What prophet is an idol when its maker has shaped it, a metal image, a teacher of lies? For its maker trusted his own creation when he makes speechless idols. Woe to him who says to a wooden thing, Awake, and to a silent stone, Arise! Can this teach? Behold, it is overlaid with gold and silver, and there is no breath in it. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. So this um, this passage has layers to it. Mm. Um, in its immediate layer, it's about Babylon. Right. Which is, this is Habakkuk's situation. This is the, the immediate context is Babylon's going to come. How long are you going to, how long are you going to let this uh-huh. happen? Mm. And so in response, we have verses 6 through 20, which is woes against the actual historical Babylon. Mm-hmm. But it has another layer to it, right? Yep. So it's not it's not just applicable to Babylon of you know the the what uh 4th century, right. 5th century. Mm-hmm. What what uh what else how does this apply to us? How can we go to this text and do anything more than just a historical analysis of this happened to literal Babylon. Uh-huh. So the these woes reveal 
how God has built into the world a uh, spiritual physical laws. I, I don't know how to describe it. Like there are the physical laws of the universe, mm-hmm. you know, but there are also physical laws or spiritual laws, and, and and these come out in these woes, mm-hmm. like the you know reaping what you sow. Yeah. Um, or the ways God judges, we we kind of like to think, oh, it comes in one instant. Like there's the day of judgment, the day of reckoning for Babylon came in an instant, and it and it did. Or we think God's coming in judgment at the end time, and it's coming. But because God created the world and He has ways of living in the world, if we go against that, God's judgment comes in real time, mm. right? So. You know, if you um, by it, real time, you you don't mean like immediately as soon as the sin occurs, right. this happens. But it happens, right? It it doesn't it doesn't necessarily wait until right the right. The, the very end, the last day. Yeah, I mean here here's one. I mean it's not from the passage, but let's say you're just a mean person and you're a jerk to everybody. Mm-hmm. And then what you find out at the end of your life, you don't have any friends and you're lonely. Yeah. That's a form of judgment. Right. Right. I like that that emphasis on that, um, that God has built this into the world because this this is that's kind of how I um uh talk about proverbs mm-hmm. whenever I'm maybe counseling someone. Um, what does it mean to be wise? What is Proverbs doing? It's saying God has he has Govern he he governs the world in a particular way. To be wise is to walk in accordance with the way the world has been built. Mm-hmm. To be a fool is to walk in a way that's contrary to it. Right. Just like God has given us gravity, mm-hmm. and so we live in accordance with gravity. <laughs> right. right. You mm-hmm. you understand that um, if you fall off of something, if you step off of a high a high ledge, gravity is going to pull you down mm-hmm. so how do we live you don't step off a, <laughs> a tall ledge right right it's the same way with the way that god has built the world he's yep. built the world to work in a certain way a wise person is the person that recognizes that and walks in accordance with that and that's what the book of proverbs is is doing right. it's showing how how to do that and the other thing to remember too is the babylonians are a nation composed of people Right. So all of that the, was a that was a really deep thought there, Jay. Well, we we <laughs> we can depersonify. Uh, we can easily, yeah. right? Uh-huh. Yeah. Say so these judgments are upon this nation, right. but remember, the woes and the judgments that are coming are because the people of the nation have done these things. Right. So, and we are capable of all of the same things, mm. and yeah. may have done many of them. Okay, you know. Okay, so we have to kind of identify that that we can be just like the Babylonians. And mm-hmm. that's not that's not something that we often want to Yeah, that's one of the acknowledge, right? One of the other that's what I said, like why do these texts like this matter? Well, one is it helps us to recapture who God is. The other is we understand if we're honest with ourselves that there's a little Babylonian in all of us. Mm. You know? Yeah. And uh so we ought to take God's judgment as he reveals it very seriously. Right. Um, my Old Testament professor in seminary, he he was prone to talking about the uh, the post-exilic Israelites um, and the the prophecies and promises that were given to them. That there was there was two stages. The first was was how to get Israel out of Babylon, and the second stage of the return from exile is how to get Babylon out of 
the people of Israel. Mm. And that's that's what happens when Christ comes. Yeah. Right. Okay, so we got five uh, five woes that reveal God's judgment against the wicked. Mm-hmm. Is that you got it? All right. Okay. All right. So we got five of these. They're very they're very easy to see in the text. Uh-huh. Um, the only the only question I have is as you've got you got the woes at the beginning of every section except for the last one. Yeah, the woe comes in the middle. I don't know. Very interesting structure yeah. there. I don't know if there's a any kind of reason for that, but it, it sticks out. Maybe, <laughs> probably, maybe in like the Hebrew, there's rhetorical effect with the language. Mm-hmm. It's my best guess, you know, because there, there, there's even more. There's more of a rhetorical power. Mm-hmm. Like if if we were a Hebrew professor, we could be right. like, there's more rhetorical effect, but it's not. I don't want to undermine the scriptures and be like, "Hey, we don't get all of it," because we do. Right. We, but there, but there is like flavor. <laughs> right. Maybe we'll say there's extra flavor. Well, it'd be like it'd be like an uh, an English poem being translated into another language. Yeah. You you can get the you can get the gist of it, but it doesn't have the same effect in the translated language. Yeah. Right. So, okay, so the first one is found in verses six through eight, and it is the judgment of reaping what you sow. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah, and so there's just three stanzas. First woe begins, um, and it's a form of a taunt. God's taunting them, mm-hmm. like he's saying, like, destruction's coming upon you, Yeah. and as we'll see at the end, there's nothing you can do about it. Um, woe to you, right, um, who heaps up what is not his own. Um, the the gist of it is we can move through it is you've plundered now you're about to be plundered, mm. and you can see that in the text in verse in verse eight. Uh, you who have plundered many nations, all the remnant of the peoples shall plunder you. So you're going to reap what you sow. Why? And then you go through you work down to verses six and seven and eight, and you can see that they have done what we know what they do. Mm-hmm. They conquer. And take by violence and force their plunderers. Um, they've rampaged and destroyed indiscriminately, and they've done it to some big, the big kids on the block, mm-hmm. the Assyrians and the Egyptians. So now they roll up to your small nation, and they can extort you. They become extortioners. Well, do you want to be totally destroyed and have us kill all the women and children? No, we'll pay up. Give us all of your men, all of your working men, to take the captivity. Give us two thousand pounds of gold. You know, whatever. That's what that. This is what this text describes. Mm-hmm. They're like the mafia now because they have the power. Yeah, they're they they just extort you. Mm-hmm. And God is saying, all of these people that you have plundered and extorted are going to rise up, and you're going to get plundered now. All right, so we can see this. We can see this in history very, very easily. The Babylonians do this to other nations. The Persians rise up and they do it to Babylon. Uh, the Greeks rise up and do it to the Persians. The Romans rise up and do it to the Greeks, and on and on and on. Yeah. You see uh, wicked nations that are oppressive. Um, they get what they've got coming to them. Mm-hmm. And an easy example is um, Britain and their heavy taxation, and so the colonists they rise up and rebel and and they. They beat them in a war. Mm-hmm. Um, so we see this in, a, in kind of these broad strokes of, of history and, and nations. But what does this look like for us? Like if we're looking at this and we're like, all right, what is this? What's this have to do with me? What does it look like that the, you reap what you sow? 
Um, well, I mean, it's obvious that that Paul picks up on this in, in Galatians that you mm-hmm. you reap what you sow. Mm-hmm. Right? God's not mocked; you reap what you sow. But what does that look like? Well, in our day and time, you know, it can look like someone who's sexually immoral and has, you know, premarital sex, and then they find out they have HIV. Yeah. You reap what you sow. Mm-hmm. You've lived contrary to God's ways. He's established a um, a good a good uh, parameter for sex and blessed it, covenant between a man and a woman for life. You violated it, and you've been sowing, and finally now you're reaping mm-hmm. what you've been sowing in the world. Yeah, um, that's one example. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there, there are many. Yeah. Um, you know, you've haven't taken care of your health. Maybe this one might hit close to home for you and oh, I. Oh my huh? goodness! <laughs> <laughs> I don't do this podcast so you can convict me, Jay. You haven't. You haven't <laughs> exercised. You haven't exercised. You right. haven't taken care of your heart. Uh, you have a heart attack. Uh-huh. You reap what you sow. Yeah. Um, in this context, it's in the context of violence. Right. So I mean, you you maybe can not be physically violent, but let's say you're just a jerk mm-hmm. to your family. Yeah. Maybe verbally you're, verbally maybe, violent. Yeah. Maybe you're you know, your kids have to live with you till they leave, but mm. let's say you're just not a good parent and you're verbally uh abusive even. Yeah. Uh and then you grow up or the kids grow up, they don't have anything to do with you. Mm-hmm. You reap what you sow. Right. Okay, so uh, my my follow up question is how does this differ from karma? Because I, you see a lot of people, even Christians, I don't see it quite as much as I used to on, on Facebook, but I used to see even professing Christians talking about karma mm-hmm. and, you know, or watch out how you treat people because it's going to come back. How is this different from, from karma? Well, in one sense, it's not. Okay. Because what I would say is when people are trying to describe karma, mm. they're trying to describe what, the very thing we just talked about. Uh-huh. If you're a mean person, then probably you're going to get what's coming to you eventually, right? They're trying to describe with a mind that has denied the God of the Bible, the spiritual laws built into the world, which which no one can escape. Yeah. Now, the accurate term is that this is God's act of judgment, that God is judging people presently in this world. Mm -hmm. And to one degree, if people are wise, they see it, and it would have a restraining effect. It should. It's it's in a way a grace that people could look and see, if you live in certain ways, these patterns happen, and then people should take the warning and go, well, I'm not going to do that. Mm -hmm. So it should have this general grace effect. Usually it doesn't, because people are... Right. What... We do what people do. Mm-hmm. But I think karma is just a secular a secular person, well, not even secular, a Eastern mind's way that people that have denied the God of the Bible, their way of trying to capture and explain this reality. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. But, in, but the real thing that it is, is it's the act of judgment of God. Yeah. Well, karma is also, I mean, it's, it's Hindu. It's right. Hinduism. And it has to do with reincarnation also. Right. So the way that you live determines what you're reincarnated as mm-hmm. in the next life. So yeah. if you're a good person, you're reincarnated as something better. If you're a bad person, you're reincarnated as something worse. Right. right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, which that's works 
Uh-huh. That's works. Yeah. So I think I think something that's important for us to realize in in this is that um we have to recognize that if it weren't for the gospel that we would we would reap what we sow. Mhm. Right. Yep. Yeah, it's inescapable. Right. Yeah. I don't know if you want to talk about the gospel as we go through it, or if you just want to. I don't know. Land maybe, on it at the at maybe the we'll end. Save it for the end. Okay. All or right. Rhetorical effect. Okay. Huh? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. So that's that's the first judgment. Judgment of reaping what you sow. Uh-huh. Um, the second judgment is found in verses nine through eleven. It's the judgment of self destruction. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this one is interesting to think about too, because well, all of them really are, but. Um, Go to if you go to verse nine, you see it. Woe to him who gets evil gain for his house to set his nest on high to be safe from the reach of harm. So the idea is, the Babylonians have tried to make themselves unconquerable, and they've done it by taking wealth and people and resources. And it's like an eagle would build a nest way up high in a mountain where no one could ever get to it. They want to build their city. And their fortresses in this fashion to where they can relax and say, I'm secure, uh, no one can harm us, we cannot be conquered. But the way they have got they have gone about getting all of that stuff, all of those resources, is evil. So because they have gone after security in an evil way, it the actions itself become the the guarantee of their own self destruct their own destruction. So it's self destructive. It's self destructive to pursue security by evil means. That's what this woe is about. And then um, you see in verse eleven, the stones like the building materials. The stones cry out. The beams answer back. So the wood and the stones are calling back to each other. Think of massive Babylon. You know how impressive it was. Like, mm. was it a wonder of the ancient world? Hanging ga- gardens, Hanging of, gardens Babylon. of Babylon, yeah. And uh, that's crying out to God, destroy Babylon, because it's like the blood of Abel mm. calling out to God for justice. Okay. So all of this material has been pillaged from all these surrounding nations, and it's a, it's just a. Uh, I don't even know what what you say. It's personifying like the blood of Abel. It's doing it here. Mm. Calling out for God for vengeance. Okay. Um, so you gave uh, you gave two two illustrations of this mm-hmm. kind of in history. So the first one is America. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the first one that I that I had in there was uh, America and the treatment of slaves mm-hmm. or and slavery, the 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 industry of slavery. You know, it, it, the South built especially the south but to some degree some in the north some of the north too but the south became incredibly incredibly wealthy and were building they were building an empire for themselves um, to make themselves secure and they were doing it off of evil what they were doing was evil what they were doing to image bearers of god was evil and um, i quoted the, uh, Thomas Jefferson. If you go to the Jefferson Memorial, you ever been there? I haven't. We've got some of his quotes, like he's standing there in the middle. He's got some of his quotes, like there on the walls. And one of them is this. I took a picture of it when I was there. He said, "The God who gave us liberty, gave a uh, God who gave us life, gave us liberty, 
Can the liberties of a nation be secure when we have removed a conviction that these liberties are the gift of God? Indeed, I tremble for my country when I reflect that God is just and that his justice cannot, cannot sleep forever. Commerce between master and slave is despotism. So he... I wouldn't try to even try to make the attempt that Jefferson was a Christian. <laughs> right. But I think somehow he recognized that in the God of the Bible... He was just, and he always acted eventually. Mm. And for him, he saw... I mean, he was a little bit hypocritical right. in this, um, but he saw that there was danger, and the danger came. I yeah. mean, the Day of Reckoning came. England was able to to avoid, uh, I think, the judgment of God, at least in this degree, that, yeah. that Christians were able to rise up and to abolish slavery, and... They didn't have a bloody civil war. We had super bloody civil war. Yeah, it's the judgment of God on our nation. Uh, we still see the repercussions today. I mean, the whole um, these the whole CRT mm -hmm. argument could be defeated pretty easily if we hadn't had such a history of slavery. Mm -hmm. I mean, we're still seeing repercussions of it. Um, I, I think that we probably can see the same thing with the way that um, the government treated the uh, the natives, mm -hmm. the Native Americans, yeah, um, in violence, uh, deceit, um, you know, yeah. trail of tears. And there's still repercussions, yeah, today over that also. Mm -hmm. uh, but you gave another one, yeah, feminism, yeah, yeah. So feminism, feminism, they're like the the diamond for feminists the one thing like it's their holy sacrament for their movement is that a woman has to have the right to to kill their baby in the womb or they're not truly free free women right and so millions of women have believed the lie that they can't be a, a successful woman in this nation if they have a baby early because mm -hmm. a baby will tie them down get in the way and so as, you know, as young girls, many of them teenagers, many early 20s, as they're beginning their careers, they're like, career or baby? And I didn't want to be pregnant. And so they literally sacrifice their own child on the, on the, on the altar of their career. Mm -hmm. So they're, they're pr trying to pursue a career. That what they're doing is they're trying to make a nest of security, like yeah. it, the picture, the imagery fits perfectly. They're trying to make themselves secure financially, you know, all of this stuff, and they've done it. And the price they paid was their own child. Yeah, I don't even know if we have to to zero in on abortion alone. I, I think there's a lot of parents that sa have sacrificed their their children that they actually um, let live mm -hmm. on the altar of career. Yeah. I mean, there's there's plenty of there's plenty of people that um, they just didn't have a good home life because their parents were always gone. Yeah, um, and it's it's the idol of of success mm -hmm. um, and and security. I mean, mm -hmm. what what do we what do we build up as the things that give us security? Mm -hmm. And we could talk about you know, um, you know any number of things that that make us feel like we're secure. And uh, what what are you willing to do to get that? Yeah. And so the idea in this woe is that 
and pursuing security in such a fashion, you're actually secured your own destruction. Mm. It's it's a, it's something that God has built into His world. Yeah, that's that self sufficiency. Yeah, um, that that arrogance that says that I'm the one who takes care of myself, mm-hmm. and it it doesn't it doesn't it's not mindful of God. It's, it's not trusting in God. It's only trusting in self. Okay, um, the third one is found in verses 12 through 14. It's the judgment of futility. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, this one, key, the, the words to key on here are, um, is it not from the Lord of hosts that peoples lay, labor merely for fire and nations weary themselves for nothing? So what is he saying? He's saying... Um, the Babylonians, and then we can extrapolate it to everything else. But every all the efforts of the Babylonians uh, and their rapid rise and the building of their great city and their nation and all of it is for nothing. There, God has, and it says it's from the Lord. They're laboring for fire, and that kind of carries the idea that they've made these great structures and these buildings, and what have they done? They've labored. To make kindling, <laughs> like that's going to burn mm-hmm. when the next nation conquers you. So you've 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 done all of this, all of you've had a tremendous effort, and uh, it's all for no for no reason. You're doing it for nothing because God's ma- is going to make you nothing. Mm. And so he and the reason is found in verse 14 is because Babylon's goal with their nation building is not God's goal. God's goal is to for the earth to be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And this gets to this greater eschatological part of a theme that's in Habakkuk and God's judgment of the wicked. But this is God's goal. And, of course, he's, he's quoting from Isaiah here. Um, looks like you're flipping. Are you flipping there? No, I was, I was flipping to another, so, another passage. This is like a messianic... This is a messianic... I don't know what the phrase, mm-hmm. and it's it's ultimately about Jesus. That God's goal is that Christ would reign over all of creation, and the earth will be filled with people that are acknowledging that and seeing that glory. Mm-hmm. And no nation on the earth has ever had that goal. the The goal of every nation on the planet has always been their own glory, the glory of man, the glory of me. Or or the, whatever king, the glory of this people and this nation, and so every nation that has ever existed, every empire, even massive empires, they're gone. Yeah, it's was, for no reason. Yeah, I was thinking of um, Nebuchadnezzar's dream in Daniel chapter two. He, he has this dream of of this giant statue that's made of gold and silver and bronze mm-hmm. and, and iron, and and uh, then he sees this rock that's that is hewn out of a mountain and it crushes the statue and it turns it into dust mm-hmm. and then this rock becomes a mountain that fills the entire earth yeah it's, it's a picture of all these nations they think that they're they're mighty nebuchadnezzar even takes the dream literally and builds himself a giant statue <laughs> for people to worship and um, it all is for nothing. Mm-hmm. Christ's kingdom is established, and all of the nations, um, all these kingdoms of the earth, are reduced to dust. Yep, that's it. 
Yeah. Got it. So that's it's the judgment of futility. Mm-hmm. You're you're mm-hmm. spinning like a hamster on a wheel. You're running hard as you can and going nowhere. Yeah. But it's not just it's not just nations that experience this. People experience this also, right? Yeah, I think and I think people can maybe even look at their own lives to some degree and say there was a maybe a moment in my life where I wasn't actually trying to live for the glory of God. Yeah. And it was about me. And by God's grace, maybe he changed your plans. Redirected you and frustrated it. You were frustrated maybe even for a moment. And you realized it was all it was all nothing. It was all futile. I was doing it for nothing. In the end, it was it was for me, it was worthless. And then God redirected you, and you know maybe now hopefully you're living on, living for Him, and so you, all of your efforts in this world, as far as they're for, for God and for for Christ, they're not futile, but everything else, you know, God can He reduces to futility. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm I'm thinking of uh, Matthew chapter six. Jesus says, "Don't lay up treasures for yourself on earth, where the thief breaks in and steals, and the moth and the rust destroy, but store up treasure in heaven." Mm-hmm. Um, and he, he he goes on to say, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and yeah. all of these other things will be added to you. So it's, it's futile to be storing up things on this earth where even if you die with all of it, you die yeah. and you leave all of it. You don't get it. It's, yeah. it, it's, it it's, is, it's nothing. It, it's futility, mm-hmm. right? Um, I think of the parable of the, uh, um, the foolish, the foolish, uh, steward and or farmer in in uh luke chapter 12 he he has all of these crops and he says what what am i going to do with all these crops i'll build a barn i'll build a silo i'll i'll store up all of this stuff and then i'll i'll take it easy i'll eat and drink and you know i'll have it all and uh god says this very night your life is required of you and, and he yep. dies mm-hmm. right and it's it's all futile he's been doing he's, it all he's for done nothing. all of this and it, it it doesn't matter at all mm-hmm um, and then uh, Psalm 127, I was, I was thinking about this through several of, of these uh, points. Um, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Mm-hmm. Unless, unless you are pursuing God and his kingdom, it's all, it's all meaningless. Mm-hmm. You're just building it up for, for nothing. Yeah. And part of the judgment, I think, in futility that happens actively is that oftentimes you, God makes you see it, see it, mm. and it's a bit. It's got to be like a bitter pill going down. Yeah. When you realize I have done all of this for no reason. Right. So like the the Babylonians, mm. they saw their end. Yeah. It came, and um, there's these verses in Deuteronomy which are interesting. I think to think about. Um, God says in Deuteronomy twenty eight thirty through thirty two, you shall betroth the wife, and another man will will ravish her. Like you have a wife, and you didn't get to have your time with her. Someone else took her. Yeah. Uh, you'll build a house. Someone else will live in it. Like this, this is seeing this. This is the judgment of God on you. He's made your efforts and made you see the futility of your right. efforts. I, you know, we've been talking about Will Smith a lot <laughs> over the last week. But I can't help but think that we see this kind of working itself out in his life. Mm. I mean, he's he's won this award. He has, according to worldly standards, he's got it all. Um, but you see what his life is actually like, and it's it. I, I can't help but think that he's got to have at least a sense of what's this all for, because 
he doesn't really have anything. Right. I mean, it's all just it's it's Ecclesiastes. It's vanity of it vanities. Vanity. It's all empty. It's it's chasing after the wind. Yeah. Um, it, that that's what the book of Ecclesiastes is all about. Life under the sun. If if this is all you're pursuing, is this life here and now? It's all vanity. But the end the end of all things is is fear God and keep His commandments. Right. And that that's the whole duty of man. Yeah. There was a uh, there's a video of him from several years ago talking to some other actors. Maybe we can find it for Free for All Friday. But he says on there, you know, when I was 15, my girlfriend cheated on me, and it really crushed me. And I thought to myself, um, uh, no one's ever going to cheat on me again. I'm going to be the best actor that ever lived. I'm going to be famous and rich, and no one's ever going to cheat on me again. Mm. This was this was years wow. before yeah. right. what happened with his wife cheating on him. Wow. Yeah. That's futility. <laughs> yeah, it is. But the flip side is the earth is going to be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God. Yeah, as the uh, waters cover the sea, mm-hmm. and those who are are trusting in Christ, they they get to participate in that. Yeah. So even if it looks like you are an utter failure in this life, you get it all. Uh-huh. You get it all if you if you seek after God, if you seek after God and His righteousness, His kingdom, um, then you inherit you inherit the kingdom mm-hmm. um, on the last day. And it's not futile. And you know my view of of this kingdom, like, mm-hmm. is universal. Mm-hmm. So, like, the universe, right? You will reign with Christ, and you yeah. inherit the universe, right? Yeah. Like, so, like, don't get caught up into things of this world, right? The universe, they don't even know how big it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What things we will do and accomplish? Who knows? Right. Yeah. All right. Um, the uh, the fourth the fourth point is the judgment of shame. It's found in verses fifteen through seventeen. Mm-hmm. The judgment of shame. George, so I found out that not everybody has this dream I talked about. Not everyone has this. Have dream. you ever had? This I've dream? never had that dream. Larry, no. you ever have a dream like that? Are you serious? Yeah. Oh my goodness! But I've had other. I've had other dreams. Really? Oh yeah. I'll, my dream is getting up to the pulpit. And having nothing prepared, that's a bad one. Like yeah. I have, like I'm, I'm, I'm just stumbling over my words. I don't have my notes. It's, it's just all, it's just all chaos. It's yeah. the same. It's the same anxiety dream. Yeah, of being in front of people and just being shamed. Yeah, yeah. I'm curious who has a, has a dream like this. So my, how I started was, you go to school and you're late for a test and you're like oh i didn't i forgot i even had a test and you're running through the halls to get there on time and you don't want to you know you don't want to get a bad grade and then you burst into your classroom and then everybody's staring at you and then you realize you not only forgot the test you forgot your clothes mm-hmm. and you're naked yeah and then you feel you're ashamed yeah um i can't be the only one who's had that dream <laughs> i'm pretty sure it's common uh, you know, I mean, there's all kinds of anxiety dreams. The dream of not remembering your locker combination. Yeah, uh, I've had, and then you've got to get somewhere. You got to get somewhere fast, and you, yeah. And so you, being being naked publicly is shameful. Right. I, I didn't bring this bring this out, but it may be interesting. It's a podcast, but there was a judgment in the medieval times, and I can't remember the name of it, but it's pretty much a walk of shame. Mm. So, and I, I want to think that they mainly did it to women. They definitely didn't do it to like more influential men, but I think they they could even do it to you if you were not not merely a peasant. If you were a woman, if you got caught in adultery or something, 
they would make you walk naked like all the way through the city mm. and people would throw things on you and spit on you and I don't think they could they weren't allowed to like physically touch you. Yeah. But they were shaming you uh-huh. and you were naked, exposed, walking all the way through the city as they throw garbage and all kinds of stuff on you, walk all the way up to the church. This is the medieval periods and it's like the walk of atonement. Mm. But you're sh- they're shaming you and it's th- what they've done is they've robbed you of your reputation, you can never get it back. Well, you can you can look at um 2 Samuel where when David sends the uh the emissaries to uh a king who just lost his father and um the king's advisors tell him uh, David has just sent his spies to you know see what your kingdom is so he can conquer you and uh he shaves off half the half their beards and cuts off their robes at their waist and oh, then yeah. sends them away you yeah. remember that story uh-huh. um it's it's Shame. shameful right Shame it shames them. them yeah yeah so to be naked in the hebrew mm-hmm. uh mind is utter shame Anytime after Genesis 3, mm-hmm. being naked is shameful. Mm-hmm. And that's the Babylonians. The Babylonians do here, the imagery is of drinking drinking wrath like wine, like it, like out of a cup. It's being poured out into you. And the image almost is like of, of being forced, force-fed to be drunk off their wrath. Yeah. So... They they come in they conquer people how do they conquer people well the imagery is like drowning in wine to be forced to become drunk mm-hmm. um, they're drowning them in wrath and they're making them naked mm-hmm. for their amusement yeah so it's not enough just to conquer people they want to do it in order to gaze at their nakedness they want to shame you and it gets to this idea that the Babylonians are cruel. Uh, What's a word that we could have for it? They're sadistic. Mm. They like causing other people to be totally humiliated. Yeah, and this is we see this uh, in the Roman Empire. Yeah, the the cruelty of the Romans when they would crucify you know, millions of of people. Mm-hmm. The the cruelty of them, mm-hmm. and they do it for their amusement. Mm-hmm. I mean, you've got you've got the crucifixion story of Jesus where he's he's being crucified, um, and the soldiers are laughing, playing dice, and playing dice for his clothes. Right. Yeah, they're mocking him beforehand. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, put a purple robe on him. Mm-hmm. They're sadistic. Yeah, and that's part of the human heart that we uh, push away. We just push that away. We're civilized and advanced, and in the West, and we don't. We think that sadistic stuff is for like serial killers. Yeah. And we forget that this is this is laying there and underneath the surface in every human heart. Mm. And so God tells them, "You're going to get drunk on my wrath. It, I'm the 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 wrath uh, the the cup of wrath from my right hand. You're going to drink it, and I'm going to turn your glory into absolute shame. Mm. So it's the judgment of shame. Yeah, yeah. It's the thing. I mean, you gave some pretty visceral examples of of cruelty mm. um i can think back to i mean i was i was you you get into peer pressure and and kids can be cruel i remember some cruel things that i did when i was in middle school like we're we can we can i mean it's it doesn't have to be the extent of you know what we're reading here but 
we're we're all cruel in in different ways, mm-hmm. whether the things that we say or the things that we do. Mm-hmm. Um, have I mean, I've said cruel things to my wife before. Mm-hmm. You, know, you gotta get that last word in. Mm-hmm. You gotta get that zinger that you know that's gonna. We're we're cruel. Our heart our hearts can be filled with cruelty. Yeah, I remember once. I'm ashamed to say it, but I'll say it. Um, we were coming out was time I was hunting with Richard, and I was a Christian at this time. Yeah, by the way, hadn't been a Christian in a long time. Ever told you about this? I'm hunting with Richard. We're in a field. We come out. We got a couple of old guys with us, and uh, like like eight one that's like eighty something. And some people, I guess they thought they had right to this field to hunt there. And when we came out, this guy stepped up and he started cussing out all these old guys because they came up before us. Like, I mean, really disrespect, big time. So I hand my gun off to a guy and I got right in his face and I publicly humiliated this guy. Like I tried to goad him into fighting me, but I knew he wouldn't because he looked like a coward in the eyes. And he's like, I used to be a Marine. And I was like, I don't care. You're a coward, you know? And But, I, but it was... It was done in a way to totally rob him of his manhood. And if, I, if I'm honest, and I was honest in my confession, I liked it. Well, why? Why do I like shaming someone like that? Because I'm a sinner. Mm-hmm. Right. And I was a Christian. And I had to apologize to the group, and you know, I was ashamed afterward, eventually. Yeah. But in the moment, right. you know, it's there. Mm-hmm. And we're we're fool ourselves to thinking that it that we are any different than the people we read about in history that do cruel things. Like I mentioned, Richard uh, Wombrand is that he says last name? I don't know. He's a prisoner in the gulags, a Christian. He writes about the things they would do to him, you know. And they yeah. he was naked all the time for shame, mm-hmm. and they would laugh about it. They'd tie his hands behind his back, throw pig slop on the ground. Who scoot himself over there with his face and eat ground, eat off the ground like a pig, and they'd laugh, you know. And, yeah. and we think we'd never do it, and we're. Right. I think we're wrong. You could have been born there. Mm-hmm. You could have been the prisoner. Right. You could. You could have been the the person doing that to him. Right. And if you're not, it's not because because of you. It's because of it's because of the grace of God. Yeah, you were born somewhere else. You had parents, or you had systems of government around you that made you to who who you are. God's restrained you, um, and it's there. Given the right circumstances, uh, we're all capable of doing things that we think we probably never would do. Right, um, and that's why that's what made me think like, hey, like. This there's a Babylon that's just there under the surface. I mean, you think of the, all of us. You, you think of of Germany in the in the 30s, the 30s and 40s. Um, this was high society. This was the you know, quote unquote most sophisticated culture uh, of the time, um, and they were reduced to genocide mm-hmm. and experimenting. Um, even you know the the people in the towns they knew what that smoke was that was coming out uh, of those those camps um and they they just ignored it mm-hmm. um yeah we're we we could yeah any any people could be reduced to any 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 number of cruelties mm-hmm. yeah and the unrepentant will experience shame yeah 
and and there there's there is a time for everyone whether that you experience the judgment in this life and and God's judgment falls on you like it did the Babylonians everyone eventually stands before this God mm-hmm. and he says the cup of wrath from my right hand is gonna I'm gonna make you drink it mm. and your glory is gonna be turned to shame yeah so you you will stand before him your sin will be exposed before him totally you'll stand naked before a holy God and you will be utterly shamed it's a terrifying thing yeah if not for as we'll see at the end right um, what God has done right all right the final the final one is found in verses 18 through 20 it's the judgment of helplessness so coming right off of this telling him I'm gonna make you drink drink my wrath you're gonna get drunk on my wrath and uh, he then launches into this deal about idols and I and I think I'm pretty sure um, I think it's clear too if you kind of catch it in that order your idols aren't gonna do anything mm-hmm. they're help you're helpless you know, so call out to Marduk. You know, he's nothing. He's got no breath in him. He's got no life in him. You're trusting in something you made with your own hands. And you'll say to say to your idols, arise, awaken, right? But they're no help. <laughs> right. The wrath of God's coming. Yeah. I love the uh I love how Isaiah taunts idol worshipers in Isaiah 44 and he he lays out you know the guy goes and he cuts down a tree and yeah with half of it he cooks his food and the other half he makes into an idol and he bows down to it right yeah yeah it's it's preposterous when you think about it in that fashion but this is what these idol worshipers do they they've made something with their own hands and then they they think it's alive yeah that the god is residing in this object mm-hmm. and it's nothing and the wrath of Yahweh's coming all of your 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 pagan religion can't stop him. That's the idea, right? It's uh, it's kind of like the taunting of Elijah on Mount Carmel mm-hmm. with the prophets of Baal. Yep, I call out to your God, whichever God you know answers with fire from from heaven. Uh, he's the real God. Mm-hmm. You've got the prophets of Baal um, crying out and dancing around and cutting themselves, and Elijah just starts mocking them yeah right. yeah <laughs> and that's that's exactly what what happens here mm-hmm. right we read uh we read psalm 115 in the scripture reading um on sunday and and it's the same idea they've got eyes but they don't see ears but they don't hear they've got a mouth but they don't speak like they can't do anything mm-hmm. and the psalmist says all who trust in them become like them they they become just as stupid and useless as this carved block of wood. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. And so God, God, there's only one true God. Mm-hmm. And that's verse, verse 20 ends that way. Um, the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. And that's kind of the silence in heaven that is awaiting God's judgment. Mm-hmm. It, it's um, that it's about to fall. It's like you're in, the imagery is like kind of like you're in a courtroom and the judge is about to render the sentence and everybody mm. stands there and there no one's even breathing. I was thinking of Revelation chapter 8 where uh, the seventh seal is opened and there's, there's silence, silence in heaven in for heaven. Th- for half an hour. Mm-hmm. It's 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 that intake of breath mm-hmm. before judgment falls. Yep. Right. Uh, I thought it was interesting this uh, kind of parallel that 
you've got these idols that are speechless. Uh-huh. But in the end, God Yahweh is in his temple and all the earth is silent before him. Because they're yeah, and he's about to speak judgment. Because he's the he's the real uh-huh. he's the real God. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, but Jay, we don't uh we don't carve out pieces of wood and bow down to it. No. We're we are a sophisticated society, Jay. We don't have idols like the Babylonians. Yeah. We don't have Marduk. We don't, but we still have uh, forms of religion or things that we think are going to keep us safe from this judgment, mm-hmm. right? Whether it's my good works or, you know, I've put out more good into the world than others. I'm better than this person, or I have, or it could be a, an actual religion. It could be a religion, you know, it could be Islam, could be Judaism, um, could be into, like, here's one I thought of, it's so stupid. I keep seeing these people. First off, that okay. Not everybody that's from like Nordic descent has like blonde hair and blue eyes. Okay, but if I see you in like, you look like you've never left your mom's basement, and you're wearing a Thor. You're wearing Mjolnir because you're now a Nordic <laughs> god worshiper. <laughs> like, I just want to go up to you and say, "Hey, you see my family." See all these blonde hair, blue eyes? Thor got humiliated when Christ rose from the dead. All right. Take that stupid hammer off your brain from around <laughs> your neck. You know what I'm saying? Who was it? Was it Boniface that went and cut down Thor's tree? <laughs> right. Is that yeah. who it was? I think so. Um, he goes, I, I don't even know. I'm, I'm not sure all the details. But Thor had a, a like they like worship Thor at this tree. Uh-huh. And uh It was Bonif- a sacred tree, no one could touch it. Right. And Boniface goes and cuts it down. Chopped it right down. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And Thor can't do anything. Yeah. Right? Because he's not he's not a real god. Right. You think of uh of Gideon in, in Judges, Judges chapter six, that um God tells him to go and cut down the uh the bell. And he does it in the middle of the night. He cuts down this 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 idol, this mm-hmm. bell idol. Mm-hmm. And in the morning, all the all the people of the city are like, "Who did this?" Right. And uh, it's pointed out that it was Gideon, and they all want to kill him. Uh-huh. And Gideon's father says, "Let Bell contend for himself." <laughs> right. Like if he's a real god, yeah. If he's if he's real, then Bell can deal with Gideon mm-hmm. because these these idols. Mm-hmm. Like why do you have to why do you have to avenge the god whose <laughs> whose tree has been cut down? Yeah. He can can't he avenge himself? Yeah. 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 I just I I saw I saw more there were a couple people I saw the other day that had that thing on there. I'm like and <laughs> the Nordic gods got humiliated a long time ago. Yeah. Don't don't be worshiping Nordic gods because Marvel made some cool movies with Thor. Right. Or Vikings was a show on the uh, that was popular on the History Channel. Yeah, right. You when are people going to start uh, worshiping Kratos? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> like good night. They made, a, they made a video game about it. I know, I know. And so we got to that from religion. Yeah, uh, there are these religions today, right. and apparently the Nordic religion is on the rise again. It's on the rise. Paganism. It's all, yeah, it's all no help. Yeah, right. You're going to stand before the one true and living God, Yahweh, mm-hmm. um, and nothing's going to help you. Right. But 
But there's there's idols that people raise up that they don't even think of in religious terms. Yeah, health. Uh-huh. Uh, if you're if right. you if you take care of yourself, if you eat eat well, exercise, go to the doctor, you you're in you know tip top shape, then you can somehow avoid this. Uh-huh. Or if you um, you know you have enough money or enough education, or maybe you've made an idol out of entertainment mm. and you've numbed your you've numbed your mind so you don't even think about this stuff. Um, it's like an escape from judgment if i if i ignore that it's it's there then it's not it's not actually approaching mm-hmm. we we have all these idols ourselves that we don't even think of in terms of of religion or worship but they're still they're still there and in the end before a holy god um they're they're we're going to be rendered just as helpless mm-hmm Yep, that's it. You got it. That's a five woes. Okay. Five woes. All right. So, um, how do we escape this? I mean this oh. this is um, this is coming. If only God were explicit and told us. If only, yes. <laughs> so I don't know how much more explicit you can get than Jesus saying in the Garden of Gethsemane, praying, um, sweating drops of blood, knowing that the wrath of God is coming. Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. What cup? Well, the very same cup that God told the Babylonians, you're about to drink. I'm going to make you drink it and shame you. It's the cup of God's wrath. Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. So Jesus takes the wrath of God, the cup, and he drinks it all up. That's the picture. Uh, And this is what happened at the cross. That all of these woes and this fury and the severity of God, the justness of God, but the terrible wrath, which no one can stand before, that Jesus took it and he drank it up. Hmm. And that's our only hope. God's going to judge all sin. We are... We may not have done the things the Babylonians have done or others have done, but we are in the same... We're in the same boat as they are. Mm-hmm. We're fallen. We're sinful. We deserve the wrath of God. And God judges. Um, he doesn't... He, he, there is never a sin or sinner that is spared other than through Christ. Right. Yeah. Either you're going to drink the cup of God's wrath or Christ drink it. Yeah. Yeah. And so as we go through these woes, we can think of how Christ has taken those mm-hmm. and we reap what we sow. Uh, Christ... He took what we we deserve. Yeah, he took what right. we, re, we, uh, we sowed. Mm-hmm. He reaped it. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, self-destruction that we deserve. Mm-hmm. Christ took it upon himself. Um, that shame. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we deserve to be um, naked and exposed before God's wrath. Jesus was naked and exposed to God's wrath in our place. And now we're clothed with the righteousness of Christ. We we won't be we and won't he, be shamed on the and, last day. And in a literal sense, he was shamed in his nakedness yeah. before the world mm-hmm. on the cross. Yeah, it wasn't like the paintings you see. Right, right. They don't paint them in their true form. They yeah. can't. Yeah, it's too graphic. Right. Um, but those who trust in Christ, they won't be like those who are trusting in idols. Um, he actually saves his people. Mm-hmm. The only help from God is God. Right. That's that's the point. Right. You have to receive mercy and grace. 
Nothing you can do can save you, yeah. but God has provided a way to escape his wrath. Yeah. And and I would say it also reveals, I mean, if you look at the cross, like Sproul says, the most violent expression of God's wrath and justice is seen at the cross. So if you're going to stagger at the wrath of God, which people often do, then you should stagger at the cross because it reveals how wrathful he is. But yet simultaneously, you have to see in the cross that God is incredibly gracious and merciful. That's not even a correct, like a good enough word for it. His grace and mercy just overflow from who he is. Right. And it becomes obvious that he's incredibly good. Because it's he doesn't require for you to earn that. It's freely given. So yep. that's it. All right. Well, uh, you got one more one more sermon to wrap up Habakkuk for us. So we've got Habakkuk's prayer at the end. I'm looking forward to this, uh, Habakkuk 3. It's a great chapter. And I'm looking forward to hearing uh, hearing the sermon and then talking about it uh, next week. Stuff. Yep. All right. Well, hopefully this has been helpful for you as we've walked through this passage. Probably not a passage that you're overly familiar with, but hopefully you understand it uh, better uh, now that we've uh, we've discussed it. And uh, hopefully this has been um, not only convicting, but also it it uh, has reminded you of God's holiness, the uh, His justice. And uh, the only hope that we have in Christ. So if this has been helpful, please uh, be sure to like, subscribe, share. Um, share this with uh, someone that maybe has never heard about Christ. Um, and uh, tell them the, the hope that they have in the gospel. And uh, as always, we hope this helps you to become more and more conformed to Christ.